Good morning, everybody. All right, here we go. We are in Acts chapter 9 this morning, if you've got your Bibles. This is our sixth five-week series in the New Testament. We've crossed over the halfway point. I am exceedingly, abundantly, overwhelmingly excited about today's lesson. Um, Several of you know what's going on. Several of you have no clue what's going on, and I love it that way. So today, uh, this whole series is about the travels of the Apostle Paul. Uh, And today, before we kind of get going to this, I just want to review just a little bit about this concept of us. Uh, And in the Old Testament, us was Jews only. It was Yahweh is for us, and that is it. So when Jesus comes in the New Testament and redefines us to be everybody, I am for everybody, this changes everything. And it actually takes, if you read through the book of Acts, uh, Acts is kind of the history of the, the early church. If you read through the book of Acts, it takes several years for everybody to get on board with this concept of us being redefined to everybody. The early church leaders, we saw that in the last five-week series, where the apostles kind of get it and they go, oh, so, so this means that the gospel is for the Gentiles? And you can almost hear Peter's voice go up when you read the text. And you go, yeah, he, 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 it just clicked. He got it. So... One of the things that God is immensely, immensely, ridiculously good at is taking two parallel paths. Like he's got this group of things going on over here and this group of things going on over here. And he's getting this person ready and he's getting this group ready. And that's what he's doing in the book of Acts. He's getting Saul ready to be Paul. And he's getting the apostles ready to be able to deal with Paul. (laughs) Because Paul's going to blow this whole thing up and he's going to do stuff with the gospel of Jesus Christ that the apostles never imagined. Okay, So he's getting both of these groups ready. Last five-week series, we saw him get the apostles ready. They're ready for somebody to go. It's for everybody. Let's do this thing. This five-week series is about Paul and what he does with this. Today, Paul is not Paul. Paul is Saul. Right. So that's the, a lot of times in the New Testament, when after your conversion experience, you actually changed your name, which that's kind of cool, because my legal name is, anybody know? Henry. H with a. <laughs> wow, that didn't. I didn't quite go where I thought, but that's okay. H with a period. My H doesn't stand for anything, but it's got a period. It's awesome like that. Um, Fleming the fourth. One two three four. Yes. So in TVA's uh, just god awful way that they structure our names for outgoing email, it's Fleming comma Henry H I V. I begged to the vice president of IT. I said, you've got to help me out here. She laughed and said, no. I said, okay, we're hung. That's where we're at. So the gospel is for everybody. We are in Acts chapter 9. Now, so did you get that blank for the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone on your handout? You got your handouts? The gospel is for everyone. In in this five-week series, we see the implications of that. So everybody's a convert. Everybody's a possible convert. And the apostles had to broaden the mission field, right? So their mission field originally was just Jews. Now their mission field is everybody that's breathing. So we've got a very broad mission field. So today is about getting the game. What gave that away? This awesome jersey, right? I mean, it is awesome. Right, Julia? There you go. Represent. There we go. So... Just a couple ideas there, what's going on there in Acts chapter 9. So here's the key thought for today's lesson. God needs you to put on his jersey 
and get in his game. And sometimes jerseys come from other states, right, Barry? Yes. Yes, Barry's wearing a what? Cleveland Indians jersey. Um, he said it fit 20 years ago, so I'm, it did fit 20 years. I think still, you're still good to go. Don't, like, yawn too big, but... That almost came through my nose. That'd be great. All right, so here we go. We're in Acts chapter 9. God wants you to put on his jersey and get in his name. Verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, why was he angry? Why was he angry? His job was to do what? To persecute. To seek out and find Christians and bring them to jail and, if possible, have them killed. That was his job. And he's angry because the gospel's blowing up all over the place. And this is not good for Saul's business. This makes him look bad. So he goes to his boss, the high priest, and asks letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, if your Bible maybe has way capitalized there, as talking about Christianity, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, something interesting about Saul. Saul was like the, the genius of his day, okay? He went to the equivalent of Harvard, trained under the smartest professors, and he was brilliant at this. He was a lawyer. He had a doctorate in the Old Testament law. That's where the whole term came from, the lawyer. The doctorate in the Old Testament law. So he went to his boss, got letters, authority, saying, I can go basically anywhere I want to and persecute Christians. So he's got this access. He's ready to go. So the problem, though, is Saul's in the game, right? Uh, He's firmly in the game. He's just playing for the wrong team. That's your next blank. He's playing for the wrong team. Um, he's got the devil's jersey on, and the devil's jersey is this shroud of, of, um, of just awful, awful uh, aggression and anger. And what we don't yet have in Christianity are professionals. Now, Tim, what's your jersey? Your jersey is of what? The Tennessee Titans. My jersey is the Vanderbilt Commodores. Go Doors. Not professionals. They're going to be doctors and lawyers. They're just not quite there yet, okay? Tim's, these are professionals. There are no professional Christians yet. The apostles are still trying to figure this. Thank you, sir. The apostles are still trying to figure this thing out, okay? I mean, they're all still playing for Alabama, okay? You weren't sure where it was going to happen, did you? That was awesome. They're paid. Yeah, oh, they're paid too, right? (laughs) Under the table. Under the table. No, 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 no. They, they do win. They do win. I'll give you that. All right, so we've got uh, this group of guys uh, that's doing the right thing. They're on the right team. Saul's wearing the wrong jersey, verse 3. And as Saul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, <laughs> how awesome is this? A light shone, right? <laughs> that's what we were praying for about 20 minutes ago. Uh, a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, and I think this is a strange question, Who are you, Lord? So, who are you? That's a great question. And then he does what at the end? He kind of answers it, right? He answers his own question. Which, I mean, if you're just walking along the road in the middle of the day, because later on in the book of Acts we find out this is the middle of the day, and a bright light shines so brightly that it blinds him. So it was brighter than the what? It was brighter than the sun. Okay, I'm wigged out. I want to know who this is. So we'll forgive him for lapses of pure logic here. Verse 5, Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, how many of you uh, grew up on a farm? Grew up on a farm? 
do animals always do what you want them to do? No. Animals almost never do what you want them to do. You have to have stuff to help them understand what direction you want them to go. Goads, or pricks in some of your translations, were, were metal rods that you would smack the oxen with to make them go in the right direction. It just kind of keeps them in, in bounds. So why are you kicking against this? Jesus is smacking Saul, and he's going the wrong direction. And when we don't listen to, this is not in your notes, when we don't listen to Jesus, he just gets a bigger stick. Okay, so he's pulled out the big stick here, and he's beating Saul over the head with this stick of this light shining from heaven, and Saul's going, okay, you got my attention now. You got my attention. So, verse 6, So he, Saul, trembling and astonished, said one of the most beautiful questions in all of Scripture, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, I will, I, will, I will caution you here. This is a dangerous question to ask God because there were no conditions, there were no constraints, there were no boundaries, there were no anything that he put on this question. It was just, I'm open, I'm here, what do you want me to do? And I love, you, you, we almost didn't have to have Jesus identify himself because we almost get it from his answer. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. That's really a non-answer. I think, right? Because if you remember in the New Testament, when we studied all the teachings of Jesus, somebody would come up to him, ask him a question, and he would ask them a question. Or he would just start talking about something completely different and not answer the question. And, and, and that's, just, that's just how Jesus did things. Because he had a, a, an objective that I am going to get you to this individual place. And he's got to get Saul to this place. So verse 7, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, who did God use to get Saul where he wanted to be? Who did God use to get Saul where he wanted to be? Jesus, right? And who else? His companions. Were his companions believers? From the text, could we guess, yes or no, were his companions believers? Probably not. They're traveling with the, you know, the, the quarterback of the other team, right? I mean, this is probably not all about Jesus at this point. So, verse 10, now we switch. Luke does this thing. He just, he picks up and he shifts way over here because the book of Acts is not the history of Paul. It's the history of the early church, Okay. And, and Luke has a very serious objective here in writing this book. So we switch over to Damascus. This is where Paul was going. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and, the Lord, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. Now did the Lord had to, have to identify himself? He said one word, said his name. And Ananias said, here I am, Lord. So this is a guy that knows God's voice, recognizes, already has a relationship. He's in the game. He's playing his role. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. <clears throat> so, how many of you have seen the movie Armageddon? Seen the movie Armageddon? There's a beautiful scene between uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character and Owen Wilson's character, where Billy Bob Thornton's character, he's like this uh, NASA commander. And Owen Wilson and his bag of just misfit toys is probably the best way you can describe it. They've got, they got to board a rocket ship and fly out to this asteroid that's hurtling toward the Earth, bury nuclear weapons in the middle of the asteroid, blow it up, and save the planet. 
Okay? So Billy Bob Thornton is the NASA guy, and he's explaining the mission to Owen Wilson. And this is how it goes. He says, okay, Mr. Truman, this is Owen Wilson talking. So let's say we actually land on this thing. What's it going to be like up here? Here's what Billy Bob Thornton says. 200 degrees in the sunlight, minus 200 in the shade, canyons of razor-sharp rock, unpredictable gravitational conditions, unexpected eruptions, things like that. And what does Billy Bob Thornton say? Oh, okay, so the scariest environment imaginable, right? Okay, just, that's all you had to say, the scariest environment imaginable. And, and that's what God is telling Ananias to go do, right? He's telling him to go into the scariest environment imaginable for a Christian. This is the one guy who can have you killed based on his word. That's kind of scary, right? So let's say your boss, Monday morning, gives you an assignment. You're going to go talk to somebody that can have you killed, and you've got to bring the exact opposite message that you're anticipating him wanting to hear. feel a cold coming on, right? I mean, this is, this is really, really bad for Ananias. So Ananias does what most God-fearing Christians do. Then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He tries to explain to God the lack of logic in God's plan, right? Verse 15, but God's not having any of that. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went his way and entered the house. Ananias does what right here? He gets in the... Come on, thank you. He gets in the what, guys? He gets in the game, right? He's been doing his thing, right? He knows who God is. He may or may not have been sitting on the sidelines. We're not really sure. But God says it's time for you to get in the game. And you know what Ananias does? He puts on his jersey, he stands up, and he gets in the game. And some of us, at some times, are shocked that God uses girls in the game. Let me tell you guys, get off your butts, quit worrying about it. God calls girls too. Can I get a witness, ladies? All right? Thank you, Amy. Represent. There we go. Okay. I'm about to get excited here. Okay. So verse, where are we at? Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother. That's the guy that had him killed. He calls him brother. That's love right there. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight and he arose, and he was baptized. Guess who's in the game now? We have what you call a game changer in the game now. The only problem is nobody knows Saul's on the right side. Everybody knows Saul because Saul will kill you. So Saul has a problem. He's on the right team. He's, I think he's getting his jersey ready here. Verse 19, so when he had received his food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So i got a question for you. What was Ananias' title? Disciple. Ananias was a disciple. Doesn't say he was an elder. Doesn't say he was a deacon. Doesn't say he was a church leader. Doesn't say he was anything other than a disciple. You know why? Because that's what God needed. He needed somebody that would go. We have no idea what Ananias' educational, theological training were. 
We have no idea what his socioeconomic background was. We have no idea if he had the right family connections. We had no idea anything about him other than when Jesus said, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord, and he went. And God still needs people to do that today. Amen? Amen? Okay. I'll say amen if y'all don't. Here we go. Verse 20. Immediately he preached. Who is this? Saul. Immediately, that day, he got baptized. He gets, he's wet still. Okay? He walks into the synagogue, and he starts preaching Christ in the synagogues that Christ is the Son of God. <laughs> now, if you're a believer, what are you thinking here? This is a trick. This is a trick. He's out to get us. He's going to see who's really a believer, and he's going to have us arrested. Saul's still got a real problem. I can see his, his wet clothes standing in the synagogue preaching that now Jesus is it. I was wrong for all these years. Jesus is it. Do you understand? Jesus is it. And questionable response, right? So what do we do here? Verse 21, Then all who were heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Verse 22, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who were in Damascus proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So here's my question. Who is Saul preaching to? Jews. This is important. He's preaching to the Jews at this point. Verse 23. Now, if you really know, like, you got like a Ph.D. in Bible history, you know that there's a three-year gap between verse 22 and verse 23. Luke's just, I mean, this is, this is ridiculously hard. You, you got to, uh, it, it took me like, four hours of figuring this out this last week to go, okay, I think there's a three-year gap here because the math didn't add up. The math didn't add up at all. So I go looking in commentaries, and they're like, there's a three-year gap right here. There's a three-year gap right here. I was like, yes, all right, I did the math right in the Bible. That's awesome. So it doesn't really matter for the story. I was just excited to do the math right in the Bible. I thought that was cool. So verse 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted or, or counseled together to kill him, so, which is kind of funny, right, because he was the persecutor now he's the persecuted, right? So Jesus has this way of just flipping everything around. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And you guys have heard me talk about this before. These are casemate walls around Jerusalem, right? So there's space in between. You lived in between the walls. Sometimes you lived on the outside of the wall. Everybody wants Saul. There's a garrison full of men, we learn later on in Acts, that are looking for Saul. He's in the city. He's got to get out of the city because it's not safe for him there anymore. So these other believers have to get him out of the city. And, and what do they do? They come up with this ingenious plan that they've totally borrowed from the Old Testament because Joshua did it to get the two spies out of Jericho. David actually did it to run away from his wife, I think, or his dad, father-in-law. It was really, he had a jacked-up family. We just won't go into that today. Um, so they put him in a basket, and they tie ropes around the basket, and they lower him down outside the wall, and he escapes. It's ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine? So, so get this. So Saul's been preaching for like three years now, okay? And his name is still what? Firmly, firmly, his name is still Saul. He is not Paul that we know about. We throw around his name and go, well, Paul said this, and Paul said that. And Paul. Nobody knows this guy yet. He's still... He's still an unknown. And these disciples risked their lives. Because if you, were, if you were helping somebody who was a wanted man, guess what that made you? It makes you an accomplice. 
you're going to die too. So they are helping a wanted man escape. So can you so put yourself in the in the uh, basket of Paul, Saul here for a second, right? So they get you in this basket and they close the lid. What are you thinking? What's that? Hold the rope. <laughs> Don't let go of the rope, right? Because what happens? It, you got a problem. <laughs> you know, you got pancakes all out there. This is not good, right? Don't let go of the rope. And you might go, well, Jim, I don't know what my position is in God's family. Well, you might be holding somebody's rope right now. Don't let go of the rope. Here's the beautiful thing. They didn't know who they had in the basket. (laughs) There have been so many people that have held on to the rope for me in my life who had no idea if we're going to turn out to be anything for Jesus. Right? Hold on to the rope. And you might go, but my hands are burning. Right? Have you ever held on to a rope? Played tug of war and it slips a little bit? What if that thing jostled a little bit? What do you think Saul's thinking? Do they believe me? I mean, this is my life here, right? Don't let go of the rope. You don't know who's in the basket. All right. Here we go. So what are these disciples' names? What are their names? Somebody help me out. What are their names? Bible students, experts of the scriptures. What are their names? We don't know. Others, right? The other, if you ever want to do a cool Bible study, just do a study on the others in the New Testament. The others did like 95% of the work, okay? I'm telling you. They did. It's, it's unbelievable. Because there were these other women who followed Jesus around his entire ministry who funded the whole thing. When was the last time you heard a sermon on them? Just other women. There was these other disciples who held the rope for Saul. These others, these others, these others. 99% of us are just going to be others, okay? 50 years after I'm dead, nobody's going to remember my name because we stopped the whole Henry, I'm sorry, Paul Paul, but we stopped the whole Henry H. Fleming, the fourth thing. And I know you're good with that, so that's cool. Okay, so um, nobody's going to know my name, you know? I, I'm not Billy Graham. I have no aspirations for that. I want to encourage you guys to be the church, right? Awesome. That's my role, right? I'm wearing that jersey. So what did these disciples do? Well, they chose to risk their lives. They had courage for the sake of the gospel. They were physically strong enough to do the job. They cooperated with each other. Because what if one of them had changed their minds halfway through, right? I don't want to hold the rope now. I've decided I'm not into this. You know, oh, I want to sleep in this morning. Oh, I think I'm just going to bury, yes. If there were three others holding the rope, and one quit, that made the job for the other two that much more difficult. You ever been in that position in church, Barry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a lot of fun, is it? Normally it's not, yeah. Every once in a while it is, but because Jesus does which is what Jesus does, right? I mean, the enemy tried to blitz, but Jesus was ready. He's always ready, but we have a job to do here. So what did these disciples do? They got, they got in the game, and they did what was needed. They got in the game and did what was needed. At that time, they needed somebody to hold the rope held the rope and that's cool now what would have happened think about the consequences on the new testament if they had dropped the rope Saul had fallen and had died we would be studying about 
somebody else, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this story might not have made it, okay, right? <laughs> we might not have ever known, right? It's just, it's, it would, can you imagine the impact, right? I mean, it's, no, that was an awful joke, wasn't it? The impact. <laughs> I rolled that back in my head and then heard it again, and it was just funny, okay. All right, so don't let go. You don't know who's in the basket. You might be the only one holding the rope. Here we go. As we come to a close here in verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. This is after him preaching for three years. Three years. They still didn't believe him. Now think about that. That's pretty hardcore, isn't it? I mean, dedicate three years of your life to something, and then I'm just not going to believe you. So what did Saul need? So let's think about this in a bigger picture. What do we need to be reconciled to God? There's an M word here I'm looking for. A mediator, right? Somebody to stand in the gap and to reconcile us to God. Who does that for us? Jesus. Yes, Jesus does that, right? He represents us to God so that we can have a relationship. And the cool thing is, there's a guy named Barney in the New Testament that does this exact same thing. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him. Anybody have a different uh, translation for took him in your Bibles? Took hold of him. That's very good. I like that. Because that's exactly what's going on here. He took hold of him. He took hold of him. Help me out here. He took hold of him. Come on. I'm trying to take hold of him. I'm making it difficult. You're making it difficult for me, yes. He took hold of him who had a jersey of a little bit different color, who had a jersey that they didn't quite recognize. And he went around and said, hey, this is, this is Saul. I vouch for him. You know me. You know I'm not vouching for somebody awful. This is Saul. I vouch for him. The, the text literally says, he held on to him and walked him around and introduced him. This is Saul. I vouch for him. And guess what that did for Saul's ministry? Well, that just opened all kinds of cool doors. He got a sponsor. He got corporate sponsorship. There you go. That was awesome. I like that. That's absolutely right. So, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 27. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles, and Barnabas declared to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and that Jesus had spoken to Saul, and how Saul had boldly preached at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas was a mediator between Saul and the disciples. He's just imitating his Savior, right? He's doing what his Savior did. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, um, so the disciples see that Saul has on a jersey at this point, right? And, and Joe, when you saw Julia this morning put her jersey on, what was the first question you asked her? What's, what's going on, right? What are you up to? Because when you put on a jersey, other people notice, and other people take interest, and they see something is different. Now, there's a problem with some jerseys. Help me out here, Albert. There's a, there's a problem with some jerseys. Albert's jersey is a little large, right? Because this is not Albert's jersey. This is somebody else's jersey. And you feel like you're wearing a pup tent, right? Yeah. 
when you try to wear somebody else's jersey, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good, and it doesn't work very well in the game. Wear yours. Jesus got one for you. Just wear it. It's cool. Thank you, Albert. Does that make sense now? Yes. This, this texting back and forth the other day about, I need you to wear an oversized jersey made no sense whatsoever to him at the time. But he trusted, and that was pretty cool. So, verse 28. So Saul was with him at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And Saul spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Anybody know what this is? These are Jews that spoke what? Greek. Jews that spoke Greek. So, Jews, watch the circle. Jews that spoke Greek, the next step is Gentiles. So we're, we're broadening here. We're slowly broadening this. And Terry Bolden's going to come next week and blow this thing up and talk about where Saul, where Saul went with all this stuff. And it's absolutely amazing. So, verse 30. I'm sorry, verse 28. So he was at the, with him Jerusalem, verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they, who's they? The... Jews, yes, attempted to kill him. When you put on a jersey, it might not be popular, okay? Jerseys come with risks. The jerseys that you see those guys wearing tonight, they come with massive what? Pads. Right? They got shoulder pads, and they got neck braces, and they got helmets on, and they got, I, still, I, don't, I don't even know the names of it. It's, I don't even try to pretend like I do. Eric King's back there just going, ah, you, you're going to walk off a ledge here, dude. Don't do it. Right, and they're they're all. I mean, they're ready to go. They don't go into the game unprepared, right? They don't look at the water boy who's got a t-shirt on and go get in the game, go throw a touchdown. Brady's hurt. No, there's training involved in the game. There's preparedness in the game. There's readiness in the game. You got to be ready. You got to want to go in the game, right? You ever seen a coach point to a player and the player's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll pass. I'm good. Get in the game. Why to be going, Jesus, put me in the game. Put me in the game. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And every once in a while, here we go. You ready for this? Somebody from another state walks in who you didn't even know was in the game. And they're wearing a jersey. And they make such an impact in your life that you can never forget them. Because this guy, when I was unemployed and had a two-week-year-old son, two-week-year-old, two-week-old son. <laughs> when I get crazy, I can't talk straight. He came alongside, and he did exactly what he just did. He put his arm around me. He said, Jim, I, I got some work I need you to do. And I still, to this day, don't know if he made it up or not. But he gave me a job, and we got to eat, and that was awesome. And I didn't know he was really in the game that far, but dang it, he was in the game. And I needed somebody wearing a jersey that I didn't even know was in the game to come alongside and go, you know what? There's some encouragement here. Thank you, sir. That was awesome. That was awesome. So look at the, I want you to see the love in verse 30. We're almost done. When the brethren found out, these are the guys, these are the, the Jews that are on the right team. They brought Saul down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. They cared about him, so they got him out of danger. They cared about him, so they got him out of danger. And what happens? 31, and we're done. And the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria were at, had peace and were edified. 
and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, I don't know how many of you know anything about mathematics. There's a couple ways to increase numbers, right? You can add, right? That increases. And you can multiply. That increases. Which one is faster? Multiplication. Provided the number's greater than one. I know somebody's going to come up here and say that afterward, but <laughs> yes, I, I, I know that, okay? I, I, we checked that box, all right? <laughs> Multiplication works a lot faster. And that's what God did here. God multiplied. Because you never know when, when somebody sees a movement that is taking place and they see that and they go, you know what? I want to get in the game because something big is happening here. Let's look at our application. So what's the point? Well, number one, God has a spot for you on his team. He does. He has a spot for you on his team, every single person. Number two, those that are in the game need encouragement. Where would Paul have been without Barnabas coming alongside and going, you know what? I vouch for you. I'm going to encourage you. How encouraging would that have been to Saul, right? To have somebody say, I put my reputation on the line for you and the sake of the gospel. It's beautiful. And number three, this is verse 31. God will do what only God can do. Because I don't care how big a preacher Saul was or how big a preacher he was going to be, he cannot multiply the church. The, the crazy, ridiculously awesome thing that is happening at Stewart Heights Baptist Church right now is not the result of Gary Jared, Daryl Davenport, Brian Smith, anybody else on staff, or anybody here in the building. It's not. It's the result of God's work. I don't know why. We, none of us have any idea why. We have guesses, but we're stupid. We don't know it. So we're just guessing. God decided to do this. And praise the Lord. It's, it's, God does what God does. So what do I do with that? Number one, get in the game. Two, encourage others to get in the game. Right? This is called evangelism. It's awesome. And we don't ever give up, do we? Never. We're never giving up. And number three, give God the glory when God does what only God can do. Because that's what he does. He just blows things up. It's awesome. <laughs> he just blows things up. So, that's game day. Get in the game. Boom. I love it. I am so pumped about this. I want to go teach it again right now. I really do, honestly. All right, so at your tables, there are these sheets where you can write your prayer requests. Take a couple minutes, write down your prayer requests, make sure everybody's name who is here at your table during class today is on that piece of paper. Pray as a group and then head on out. Get in the game. Thanks, guys.